Hello, and welcome to your Uncle's Beach House, episode 14. I'm your host, M, and with me is my regular co-host, Jackson. Hello. How's it going? It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I'm a bit tired. Um, We're late. This one's late. Yeah, this one is late. We're recording this at uh, 10.41 British time. Uh, No, I mean in that it's two weeks late. (laughs) Yeah, it's also late because we haven't... Which what was the reason for that? It's been a month. I'm trying to remember exactly why. I've been, I was really sick yeah. for about ten days, and it really ruined everything. <laughs> you were sick, and this was the the biggest casualty of that podcast. Wise, it got pushed yeah. off. It wasn't like Three Kingdoms where one of us could fill in. Yeah, I don't know when this is coming out. Uh, I, well, sh- shit. You know what? This might be episode fifteen, <laughs> depending on how quickly you edit this. Oh no, I'll put this out before we recorded okay, it. Okay, so it'll go up before. But and this one has to be up before. This one will be up by the 23rd, because I want okay, to put cool. Macros Plus out you know, 24th to 25th. Yes, Christmas and I'm doing night. that one. That one's coming out on Christmas Eve, absolutely. Oh, if I'm like, right, because I've got to edit, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, but I will I will get this up before uh, before Macros Plus, so. Amazing. So, yes, uh, we have one coming right after. Uh, Macros Plus is coming right after this, but uh, we're here to talk about the anime that we've taken forever to get to. And we're just going to hop right into it because, like I said, this is very late. And obviously, in the year, we backed this shit right up to the deadlines here. Past, but, uh, even. Yeah, past, even. Uh, we're here to talk about the anime Flag. Flag. Uh, Flag is uh, created by Ryosuke Takahashi. If you don't know who that is, that's the Vodums guy. Yeah, um, it is. Which is why we are excited to watch this. Um, directed by uh, Ryosuke Takahashi and Kazuo Tarada. Uh, this was written by Toru Nozaki. Uh, this was uh, made by... S- the Answer Studio came out in June of 2006. Ran until March. It was 13 episodes long. Uh, yeah. We were asked to do this by Rosa, who just declined to join us, but thank you for picking this. Thank you very uh, Rosa also picked uh, Paradise Kiss that we did like six months ago. Um, really like lower key anime choices, like not the huge popular ones. It's good. I like it because it gets us very out of our wheelhouse. Um, Paradise Kiss was a great anime that I think a lot about, honestly, still. Yeah. Um, and uh, Flag is also pretty good. Jackson, do you want to tell people what Flag is about? Um, no, because I watched it two weeks ago, but I'll do my best. Well, I watched it four weeks ago, so... <laughs> I guess I watched it three weeks ago. It's been a while. Yeah. But yes, you did You did get it finished before me. Uh, but it is about uh, two uh, photojournalists, war photographers, uh, in a country... Uh, what is the name of that country? Is it on the Wikipedia page? Uh, uh, Uriana. Uriana, yeah. Um, which is um fake tibet fake tibet yes it's yes. fake tibet uh but it's it's undergoing like the un are here to do some regime change uh yeah it's at- fake to it's fake tibet by way of like post-war iraq yes it's absolutely talking about post-war iraq stuff uh through the lens of fake tibet so it's walking on what we would call an anime nice edge uh, yeah uh but it is about uh a, this a minefield if you would a minefield um uh the two main characters uh do they even give a name to the the other guy um, um he do. has a name yes, uh, akagi yeah. keiji yeah. akagi uh he is the narrator and first person viewpoint of like one of the plot lines uh he is just in the like he is in the city uh taking photos of the war and covering it loosely but the main plot is about uh saiko uh shirasu who takes this picture of like a UN flag that's kind of been 
uh, it's definitely been like uh like makeshifted and you know it's it's all messed up but it's flying a it's flying silhouetted by the sun and like as the light peers through the flag there are the shadows of like um two uh praying women and one of them's like the figurehead of this community so it's like basically the this like flashpoint war photo prayer for peace photo uh of a flag that is very important and then that flag gets stolen and that's the plot and she is uh here with her photo uh with her photo with her camera to document the uh un team sdc pronounce cdac in the show but we'll probably just call it sdc yeah uh, SDC, which is a UN special unit, uh, they are here to retrieve the flag, and they've got new mechs called um, the Havocs. Even though it's pronounced, it's like spelled H A V W C, which made me think of the fucking HVEC audio uh, anime format that they upload the bad files in every time. But yeah, they do fair. say Havoc, yeah. Um, and those will just say Havoc because it's much easier to say than H A V W C. Yeah. Um, and that's the plot. They try to get the uh, they try to get the flag back, and it's all told through the perspectives uh, of their photography and their their cameras. It's all like found footage, um, which they use to great effect because they don't have any money. Yeah, the thing with this uh, anime, um, this is uh, right before uh, Armor Trooper Vodum's Paleson Files, which yes. is a show that I really need Jackson to finish so we can I know. talk about it. I <laughs> I've been saying I'm going to get to it, but we've still got so much other backlog. We need to finish Macros Plus. And, um, uh, and anyway. Pearson Files is already like an interesting thing because it's modern Vodums and so there's CG mechs. And um, it clearly doesn't have the budget that like original Vodums did or anything. No. But compared to Flag, Pearson Files looks like it has like Macross money. Yeah. Uh, because flag is in a large portion of every episode is told through still images uh that are meant to spoof like first person cameras or like actual photographs that are being taken and there's narration over the top um a lot of it is like you know busy like first person frame wipes and smears and low quality footage that ends up creating this like really interesting aesthetic through the corner cutting necessary to get the anime out of like very like you don't have all the information you want and someone has taken and like editorialized together a documentary of it. Mm -hmm. And the authorial voice of someone picking and choosing to create moments that aren't there because that's what happens whenever you have documentary footage is so strong and it's really amazing. Yeah. Uh, like there are a lot of things like this, like post, I think paranormal activity was the like, you know, it, Blair Witch was the first one and paranormal activity was the next time the uh, found footage blew up in like western storytelling mm -hmm. um and you know there are ones of those i like uh i like chronicle even though it's you know everyone who made it is the worst person ever um, mm. but definitely in terms of like the formal understanding of what found footage means beyond it's the person in the back of the car holding a camcorder mm -hmm. um is so much more uh specific with this it is a there's an anime about the construction of war documentaries and what it means to like make a narrative of out of a war um and out of like not just war but like how the un constructs a narrative about failed states and regime change like it's just that it's right here on in the anime uh it's very good it's like the africa arc of zz gundam taken to extremes uh takahashi is screaming at mech fans that these shows are about real things that really happen and are happening now <laughs> Yeah. 
through like a slightly abstracted lens, it definitely makes it a little more complicated, right? Yes. Do you just want to talk about the Udiana stuff so we can get that out of the way? I'll do my best. We'll, we'll about trade off because I'm I'm hazy on like the, some of the details at this point. Yeah. Um. But so Udiana is uh like faked a bat and they establish it like really like they are really specific about this. It's not just unnamed you know every video game of this era had unnamed middle eastern country that they just like thrilled the tropes into they are very specific it is a mountainous country that is on the silk road so it became a trading hub and built out this culture uh for thousands of years it doesn't like use the fictional country aspect to pretend there's no history which i liked um and it uh it is basically formed around two like the, the the conflict of the series is formed around two rival religious um organizations one of which is the like more radical one uh that is a- against the un's uh quote-unquote peace initiative the they always say the roadmap is the the uh the phrasing used in the show and the religion that is like no we we can find a new way we can do this through peace or whatever um and what is the i'm trying to find on this wikipedia page it does not it's all of the summaries which should tell you a lot about the like um priorities of the audience members uh who are watching the show and making the wikipedia page are all about the uh un you know team and their missions and none of the contexts yeah Um, so you have you have like the the one i couldn't find the name of the woman that uh uh what's the guy's name the photographer is interacting with that um Akagi's talking to. Um, you keep you know what? No, is it Naraya? Is it Naraya? It's it's up in the Wikipedia. So it's like Akagi's front is like a list of characters. It might be Naraya here, because it's like Akagi's local informant. But I think that's more complicated than that, because I think it's a character who used to be part of this like abstractly like Middle Eastern religious group that's like the reincarnation of a goddess or whatever. Like they just have like a like very like East Asian got like goddess or like child queen that rules and then she's replaced by a new one that rules and then replaced by a new one that rules um that one is like much more nebulous um but they're up against uh a buddhist sect that is led by a man named rupo Rupo. who declared himself the reincarnation of buddha yes Um, if you don't know about real life tibet the problem the thing with tibet is uh china annexed it took it over whatever um the dalai lama left uh, Dalai Lama is not, is not a Buddha, but is like the representation of Tibetan Buddhism, like the leader. Until there's a Buddha, the Dalai Lama is the closest you have to a leader in this specific sect of Buddhism. There's a lot of Buddhism in the world. Um, yes. and the thing with the Dalai Lama is that one dies and then they find the reincarnation of the Dalai Lama, who's like a child, and then that child's raised up to the next Dalai Lama. Um, and similarly that's supposed to happen with a buddha in like ten thousand years or whatever i'm not gonna get into buddhist cosmology the thing here is because china took it over and then the dalai lama fled to the west uh you now have a situation where the dalai lama is very anti-china and a lot of like the remnants of tibet that exist in the west are very anti-china um and dalai lama's come out and said before that like when dalai lama lies dies there shouldn't be another dalai lama because you can't trust the chinese that they won't just pick a puppet for Chinese imperial, you know, politics to be the next Dalai Lama while he's under the auspices and towing the line of Western imperial dogma. Right. It's just a fucking nightmare. Um, Dalai Lama sucks is, is, is the sort of it. But in this, 
it's not the Dalai Lama, and it's not like in the guise of two warring geopolitical factions that have made their ideological battleground Tibet and the idea of Tibet. It's this guy who lives here declared himself the reincarnation of Buddha and his followers believe that, which is a different thing and in very different circumstances that because it's still like the UN interacting with this and like, they're not like discounting it. They don't care. The, the problem is the problem that it just ends up feeling like a weird, like religious fanaticism that it has no bearing Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it feels there to be exotic in a way that's like really weird seeing coming from Japan because they treat it exotic in a different way than you would get out of American media. Right. Especially as like the tropes this uh, show is dealing with in terms of its like UN peacekeepers doing it, but just literally doing what happened with Iraq, right? Uh, yes. Which is its entire own trope laden disaster zone of every single uh, Western media about that war, uh, all being about how, uh, you know, Iraqis doing suicide bombs because they believe in their god so much, right? Like, that is like an awful lens that we have about this kind of media, but this is a whole different yes. context. But then it brings more of that, not like in specifics, but more of that tone in, especially compared to like the realities of the actual like situation with Tibet and Dalai Lama. The whole thing is like the biggest, po- like, it's the f- most fraught anime you could possibly make. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Also, his faction of like, you know, violent Buddhists, nationalists are seen as like the bad guys. There's not a lot of nuance there. Right. And like, you know, I'm not going to scoff the idea of Buddhist nationalism. That exists. Uh, it is a growing problem in areas of Asia. Um, well, problem depending on who you ask, I guess, but it, it is a, it is a concern geopolitically, uh, because like all religious national movements, like the ones that exist here, um, they can cause a lot of problems for a lot of people when you have, religious belief and national belief married together, people get extremely violent and willing to die for causes that, you know, a lot of people would just decide not to do, <laughs> not to bother with. Uh, uh, but in this, like they, they are just like a temple on a cliff that they, that the UN must assault and get the flag from because they have the flag and they're going to use it to, you know, uh, torpedo the peace talks because they want the war to continue because the war will allow them to increase the power base and take over the country uh, because peace is capitulation. Yes. And all the UN really wants is for people to get along and live in harmony. <laughs> yeah. So for as much as it like treats this, um, sect of like resistance within Udiana as just like the idea of nationalist violence in a like more abstract way like it's not sympathetic to that necessarily yeah no, um, not at all really. it's not at all it's not about like there's no zeon in this in this allegory um but it is it, like returns that at least with being just hugely cynical about the idea of un peacekeepers as anything other than the most awful fucking like hypocrites in the world yeah yeah, they are the they are the front line of destabilizing and restructuring countries to fit the agenda of the West. Yes. Uh, so while some of the things are definitely uncomfortable um, and, and frustrating, uh, also I think it's worth clarifying here: the West, in, like, is like America and Europe, but also seemingly includes Japan. The two that it explicitly does not count is China and Russia. <laughs> yes. So we're talking about when we get to the mech part, because uh, China and Russia being the other side of the UN coin is very important to the plot. Yep. There's definitely some like Cold War, you know, stuff going on, but for now yes. with robots. Yes. Uh, I know which way, which way do we want to go to now? Because that's kind of like the, the general setup. Um, 
I, I think I'll just say I mostly really like the show. I think for as much of a mess as it can be, uh, it definitely is like ambitious and about things that I mostly appreciate. Uh, yeah, um, not to not to talk like bluntly about plot things in Vodums, obviously, because not everyone here has watched Vodums, and you right. haven't seen all of Vodums. I guess but please. Vodums yeah. to me is Takahashi's like long meditation on the way in which war just sucks life out of all living things. <laughs> That's fucking true. <laughs> yeah, it, like, and it, like it's 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 a thing that can be necessary. It can be frivolous, but regardless of the rightness of it, the harm it causes is universal and eternal, and will just continue forever. Um, and I think that this, like, by applying that to a, a relatively real world scenario, it there is, despite its messiness, maybe because of its messiness, there's a real bravery to admit that, like ideologically when you look at modern conflict um you can you can side with things and you can agree with one side or another but the thing to also remember is that the impacts of the war are more than just like war is hell like it's it's the suffering of all the peoples it is the narratives that are built up in the history of places that have become war torn uh it is like the way in which the, the suffering that we consider like, you know, people suffer in battle, like falls down to people like the photographers who also have to compromise themselves and live through battle scenarios and, you know, live, you know, survive or not through the course of the show. Um, and that applies to the civilians, that applies to everyone. Um, and that sort of like deep fatigue uh running through flag creates like a cynicism for the structures of statehood that would wage such a war despite they're necessary like whether or not it's good to do so or not in this particular instance i definitely sees this as bigger powers meddling in a country that they want for you know their pissing match about who's going to rule the world right yeah so like I, the ending i just want to talk about the ending briefly to you know give give context i assume everyone here has watched flag it's you know we talk about the ending of our shows and other things i don't want to yeah. this um yeah. but the ending uh is that the um the young photographer uh shirisu uh is blown up in a terrorist attack after the peace agreement have been signed during a conversation that uh, akagi is having with the leader of the like um more progressive religious uh, organization in idiana yes. about how uh, maybe she's naive but if we were all naive we could fix the world together <laughs> and, and then like across the city there is an explosion at the airport yep and because during that scene i was like this scene's a bit fucking full of shit and then just immediately uh there's an explosion across the thing and so like the message that i think flag is trying to get across is you know it is just like a deep fatalism like it's a deeply yes. fatalist show it's akagi realizing that this doesn't end uh it will not end and at least in like the way uh, the show puts forward it's not like a show with um even like shan's counterattacks is like i if you haven't watched Gundam, sorry, I assume you have if you're listening to this. Uh, but you should even, probably not be super I'm, explicit. I'm not going to be explicit, but I want to just talk in broad themes. Yeah, okay, but even enough. when Gundam is being at its most fatalistic, its fatalism is because uh, revolutionary like ideals haven't taken root enough. But people have them, and they're around, and they are true, right? Like, yes. Zeon gives speeches of true things about fixing the world and they have like a, the support of real people uh and that's like just a part of the possibility space of bottoms this is much more a person just seeing the realities of like what modern war and statehood and 
all these things look like and realizing this is just it this is the world how, yeah like the conflict of the last five minutes of the show is like how does he not put a bullet in his head basically he's just done as a person the, the thing with the thing with gundam and with bottoms to a lesser extent in general anime and fiction is the idea that like the world revolution is possible if you get someone with a big enough idea and the will to enable it and this is a show that i think is deeply suspicious of that reality uh, modernity renders such things like just extremist views or like a thing that someone will put on the spectrum of their graph of people's ideology and then operate around with their normal like liberalism or desire for war or, you know, late capitalist desires. Um, yes. It doesn't matter. You, there is no world revolution. The world's already been divvied up and owned by the various people who are interested. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which like and you can't and you can't fight the nation when the nation is you know some of the largest armies on earth yeah which like uh i don't personally as like a communist right don't want to give in to that kind of true fatalism i want yeah. to believe that making connections is possible making the world better is, is a possible thing but i can also like appreciate just uh art that um is about reckoning with understanding the like magnitude of how fuck this all is yes yeah, for sure. Um, but also, like, in that you don't want to... The thing that's very easy when you're talking, like, geop geopolitics and the machinations of war is it's very easy to, like, render the p the places that those things happen, yes. like, very broadly. And, like, you know, this is a fictional nation, but the anime spends a good half of its time talking about the nation uh Odiana, like its history its culture the people who live there what they care about and showing you know these are a people they are going through a thing they live in a place this place is their home as much as it is like the idea of a nation in general and that's true of any place that is war torn there's a really great uh episode uh where psycho just kind of hangs out with the people who live there in like mm -hmm. yurts uh and just talks to them about their lives and you know uh it's it's very chill um and very sad because it is just like th these people are just living their lives until the the war showed up and a mech dropped in front of them. Um, and there's a person who's like the one thing I want you everyone want, listening to this to remember is that even in like a failed state, people still live here. It's someone's home. <laughs> Uh, and whether like maps get redrawn or nations change or regime regimes fall people people have a history like a personal history and a personal connection to places and that's important and the anime never forgets that culture is not the nation it is the people building up and nationality is like just an aspect of culture and not yes. the defining factor of it oh yeah absolutely um because that episode's like really good and that it is both like very earnest about the like the doctor that she meets there and the people that she's like hanging out with but also very like acutely aware that this is a story about um war photographers who go show up meet like indigenous people for a day take some photos and then leave uh and like she at the end is like oh i feel like i understand the people better <laughs> uh yes in a very ridiculous way um yeah for sure and it's like playing those things uh, off off against each other in ways that are like this thing is true these cultures are real like all like, like it sounds like a fake stupid thing to say but like all people are real people right every person is real every person has a history uh, and that's what like makes the world um but you can't you can't ever actually get a sense of that through um you know through 
art or documentaries or any kind of like you know condensed you, know, you can't read a book and become an expert on a culture in a real way that's just not a thing that exists no. um and it is about like how do we you know that that episode to me is about like how how do you like try to keep in mind um that tension and do the best to like uh keep other cultures in mind when like the act of doing that can itself be its own kind of violence and yeah. trying to bring yourself into the fucking ump's keeping force yeah and even if it's not explicit violence there is a like arbitrary randomness to the whole thing like, yes to segue to this to talk about the idea like photography and its place in this like structurally you know everything is like a doc piece of documentary film not everything in the anime but most things in the anime are photographs or film that she's shooting on her camera um and it starts with like the photo that made her famous the the flag flying and uh, people praying behind it which you know she just looked into like there were the the show is very explicit there are many photographers there they're all shooting a bunch of photos and she managed to capture the one that captured the imagination and no one can choose what photo is going to be an indelible part of history it just happens it's it's total luck and chance um and the show never shies away from that. When she gets to the UN force and is talking to them, so many of her interactions are them surprised at things she's not photographing that she is photographing, like the spaces that she's invading that are that were private before she showed up, mm-hmm. or the things that they staged for her in terms of like we're going to all introduce ourselves this great international team, and then seeing that like you know they have their own cliques and their own lives and they don't always interact in the way that they present, and uh, even her experiences are often like. The first time she goes out, she doesn't take any photos. She just ends up taking one of her in the mirror afterwards, like looking haunted. That's it. That's the only thing she she had because she was so surprised by being in this space and doing these things. Um, and the reality of that, uh, I think it's expressed really well in like this this art form slash, you know, like way of archiving real events has its lenses. And some of them are ideological and some of them are just, you know, the way things play out and no one can predict that sort of thing. And I think that's really like good in terms of like depowering the narratives of like the UN, the peacekeeping, the mechs, the idea of like war photography in general and the way we report on such things, because they all come with like their own ideological bends and their own blind spots that are intentional or not. And I think it's really good to see that play out in the show. Absolutely. Uh, especially like you think about the, um, the like titular photo of the show i guess you know it's about the flag but she takes that photo yeah. of the flag uh and it's like framed or at least for the un are trying to frame it as a dream like for peace the, like the prayer yes. for peace of this nation uh yeah. and it becomes very clear very early that that like that's not true it is a symbol for the un that they can hold up and prove for the rest of the world like whether or not the light like the, the line being believable isn't the point um, yeah like no it doesn't it doesn't matter if anyone in the room believes them but they have to have it there so that their like narrative can hold and then the like history is written it, do- it doesn't matter what any of the people think or if anyone if everyone sees through it like the transparency of it is part of the point but they need that flag to prove that the dream was real to them yeah uh, and to make this like fake piece happen and redraw the maps yeah uh but also like when they get the flag back at the end uh from rupo's faction and uh it's like there's a big battle and it's blown up in the air and as it descends uh one of the havocs catches it in its hand and she takes a photo of that and like that is the new photo this thing has been reclaimed but like at what cost and by whom and by what means like 
we'll talk about the mechs as a, in a bit as we segue to probably like the last section of this, but mm-hmm. the violence in, inherent in the act of preserving this ideal of peace in this final photograph is so powerful that the UN takes it and suppresses it. And it's only because the UN group she's with, like the pilots on the ground, smuggle out a card with the data on it for her and she gives it to, uh, what's his name? Akagi. Uh, Akagi before she and accidentally dies uh, that all of that actually plays out at all otherwise there would be nothing left I mean like the, the thing with Akagi because like the implication is that he is that this show is something that he has made that is going into the world so like the, sh- the show that we are watching is a thing that is like th- revealing the truth of this conflict to the fictional world in you know the, the conceit of uh, found footage shows um, yeah but I do think it's like crucial to note that when they give her the footage back it like it's not because her or anyone in the UN has any kind of uh, what's what's the term like any kind of aspirations towards like truth in a general sense. They want her to have the photos because they are her photos and they are her friends. Like it is a personal connection, right? And it's only Akagi deciding that this is the best thing to do because I guess like even if he knows it's like actually not going to affect any of the stuff, getting the truth out there is nominally the good right thing to do. And he doesn't like he's not so because it's the end. He's like he's completely hopeless. He's given up. And like I guess it's better to put this out there than not because then not this. What do you do? Like you got to wake up in the morning and do something, right? Um, yeah. But it isn't an explicitly like chain of, uh, I don't know what the exact word is, but it's not like a subversive act by everyone up to trying to destabilize the UN that gets it to that point. Uh, It's Mm. a like series of personal decisions. Um, Yeah, and the stuff with her that 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 final photo is the most like amazing like just here's the the real cop shit in the world, right? Like just yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a rejection of the narrative that she had before. Like, you know, she didn't have a lot of say in how that f- photo was received, but in creating the other photo, also by luck and by chance and by being in the right place to take the right photo at the right time, she's allowed to, like, reclaim the narrative that's built up around her work and just make this other thing that is like, no, this is not the reality. Maybe I thought this was the reality. Like, she shows up to be with the Havoc group very naive about what they're doing yes. and why. Um but also, like, you know, understanding that there's more to it. And also, this is still just another piece of a large narrative. Like, both photos are true. She took them, they're, like, she took them both in similar circumstances. And they are both meaningful to the people who need them to be meaningful, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no, there's no inherent value in a piece of photography unless someone observes it and takes something from it. Yeah. And I really like the fact that, like, she is there because they don't think they're going to get the flag back right like that is her actual purpose uh her purpose is to valorize and narrativize the conquest or conquest the rope or the like the valiant efforts of the un to fight for the dream of peace that is why she is there because if they don't get the flag back they need some proof of that and they are relying on her to create it and once they get the flag like it's also once they get the flag, but they don't need her. But it's also yes. like once she takes that photo with the flag, that that is just dead. That's just dead in the water. <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, that's also stuff the, really the, the means by which they get the flag do involve going against their orders and assaulting a place that they were told not to at that point. <laughs> yes. No, it's the traditional. The bosses don't actually want, you know, every Gundam plot ever. Yeah. Um. Uh, and it is, you know, delivered with as much cynicism as those. Like, there, there are versions of that plot that are very earnest about how, no, we do have to be the, like, good cops. 
Yeah. Uh, this definitely falls on the uh, Tomino side of just, this is all a disaster side of the spectrum. Yeah, because at some, we'll get to when we talk about the mechs. At some point, the UN inspectors come in and decide that they don't want to, like, they have a mech team here, but the mech team's about to cause an international incident, and they don't want them to keep doing mech shit. Yep. And then the mech team were like, well, we'll just go around them and do the mech shit anyway, like every mech show. <laughs> because at the end of the day, and this is what they're like, they understand about um, the UN and why it's different to the Earth Federation, right, as a fictional controlling hegemony. Uh, yes. Is the if this goes wrong, it doesn't actually change anything. <laughs> like the UN still have all the power in the world, at least in like this concept. Like you know, this doesn't this yes. this battleground of this they country. Will, they can just they can cover up whatever's going to happen here, right? But, like, in the scope of the machinations of the, like, states that are fighting here, and even when it becomes about the uh, balance of, like, mech power between China and Russia and the UN, uh, this this country doesn't matter to them. And if they had to just give up this fight and all leave, like, it would affect the balance of power basically nothing, despite the fact that, obviously, millions of people are dying. Um, Yeah. And it is very clear about that. Yeah. Do you want to segue into talking about the mech team and the mech shit in general? Yeah. Uh, the mech shit in the show is incredible. Um, it is a, like... Uh, so It's like Pales and Files, which is the thing he did after this, where the mech shit is CG. Yes. Um, so the Havoc is introduced by, like, basically a promotional video of yes. all its features as this very low-resolution robot that is basically, like, what if a tank was made out of four Predator drones strapped together? Yep. Um, it is extremely built out of the technology that is, like, American Imperial, like, military might. Um, it, it just looks like Predator drones. There's no way to, like, underscore this. It's very powerful. It, you know, it rolls around like a tank, and then it stands up, and it's a mech. It has miniguns that just make the, like, low buzzing noise of miniguns when they fire that we see in war footage. Um when it does assaults, you see them through night vision cameras and like CG renderings of the tunnels are going through that are given to the soldiers to help navigate. Like it is the way in which we have taken in the wars that America has waged in the 21st century, uh, mm-hmm. given back to us as like an aesthetic, and it's terrifying. It's just terrifying. Yes, it's a way scarier mech than any Gundam. It's also like. I mean, this whole show, and in fact, just Takahashi's whole thing, right, is like just kind of putting two middle fingers up to Metal Gear. Yeah. uh, As it just does that, but like actually going all the way with it. Yeah. You don't need, you don't need like a super walking tank with it with a nuke to be scary all you need is like a tank that a person's in that kind of looks like a body that fires guns that will shred anything that isn't another mech in front of it yes because when it opens up like it's not it doesn't have a super weapon it just got all the guns and all the armor that's all it takes yeah no it's like a very broad and immediate like here's what the themes of the show are and america has the guns yes um, but also there, like the way after it's presented that way that a lot of time is spent without it doing a whole lot. Like, yes. cause you know, it's the very expensive, very delicate experimental military hardware in that it's very capable of causing a lot of death, but also 
it takes weeks of upkeep just to make sure that it can do that for the five seconds they need it to do that. Like there's a whole team of like eight people that their whole job is just make sure the mechs are in good order and the pilots are in the right headspace to pilot the mechs because there's like a gesture towards like a brainwave sync to control the mech when it's in like mech form. Mm-hmm. Like you can't just pilot it. It takes like mental concentration beyond just pulling a lever. Yes. So you have like one of the mechs gets damaged on an expedition where they're shot out of the sky uh, by good old fashioned rockets and guns. You don't need a mech to beat a mech. You just need to catch the mech when it's not ready for you. Um, and so they have to replace it. And the pilot has to like there's a whole episode about him in his headspace trying to deal with the loss of this mech that has become like an extension of his body and getting this new one and getting up to speed on it because you know, they train to the point where they can pick up like eggs and not crush them. And now he's in this thing where he has a hard time walking and not kicking over computers. Um, and it's a really good episode about mechs and bodies in a way that you don't see so explicit in a lot of mech stuff, even though it's, you know, throughout the genre. Yes. Um, and it, that stuff's really good. I like it because it's so small. Um, yes. I feel like I, this isn't a making broad statements about the mech genre is a thing that i have learned not to do because every time anyone does it they're wrong and it's embarrassing um yes. but in the shows that i have seen uh when that like that theme expresses itself it is often in like you know everyone points to how the the lie of saying like eva's not like other mech shows because it's like about the body in this way uh, yes. but when it is about that and the things that are famous about it are like body horror extremes and like there's a lot of mech stuff that can lean into that uh whereas this is the same themes and like the smallest like it doesn't matter it's not like it it's horrifying because it doesn't matter right it's not like you know crawling on the ground and eating another like eating its enemies or anything um it's not it, it's just the what it means to not be able to like do things with your body anymore this like disconnection uh, of self um and his reactions to it are like they're big for him because his character is kind of understated but they're not like he's not screaming about it he's just kind of you know a bit messed up about it in a very normal way and i, I really liked that episode i thought it was very well handled yes so as he's trying to adjust to his new mech and he's out like patrolling randomly what shows up disrupting the entire like everything like yeah the the way in which you envision the world of this show immediately the bubble is popped as suddenly from the sky is dropped a mech from china yes and it is uh and instead of havoc it's called the long coup and it's just bright day they're out patrolling and this mech falls into a field and it's here at the like perimeter of the base, just waiting for someone to come and start some shit. Uh, because China and Russia apparently knew they were out here with some mechs and they wanted to test their new experimental mech that no one's supposed to know about <laughs> against the UN's experimental mech that no one's supposed to know about. Um, and so you get for one episode, a mech on mech battle as, uh, they wheel the, the remaining havoc and eventually the one that's not quite ready yet out to handle this long queue. And it, there's like a shepherd in the like nearby field, like on a hill watching this as just these two military vehicles fire guns at each other. Uh, that like there is a standstill of technology, but as they're n- managing to not destroy each other, it's just like whole rains of destruction coming from both ends, like, you know, bouncing off the mechs and tearing up the lands, uh, the, uh, landscape and 
it's the scariest thing I've ever seen in an anime. Yeah, it's like the most explicit version of this thing I've seen in a, in one of these shows. And just like you know, the 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 two world powers are here, basically doing what it amounts to like an R and D war, destroying this place. Like just yes. just like just there's no life around these mechs when they are done uh, uh like then the sheeps are it's not like they're killing everything like people are running away i guess but yes the, the destruction is palpable uh and yeah this land will not it's, be it's personally because you don't get you don't see a bunch of like cars or houses or trees shot up it's just like the violence is in the threat of what could be and yes. what you don't see right like it's just a lot like a lot the big major like engagement is a long shot of two mechs and you can barely see the bullets as it just goes at each other as like the mini guns fire off uh and that's what's scary about it is that it's very understated and it's very sudden and you know that it should be like a catastrophe but it's not because this is just a thing that these people do like this is the they might as well be like testing the windshield wipers yes. on both sides uh even though they're tense and it's heightened and it's very dramatic in the viewing um as far as like the history of these two mechs and these two countries who cares doesn't matter and that's what's scary the the, the casualness of it all yeah and what i think like another thing is like when you th- imagine what a found footage mech show could be like you could see this scene from the perspective of you know a family trying to escape right like you could easily yes. have a like because found footage inherently puts you almost always in the perspective of like you know every shot of cloverfield where things are popping off you know that it's that kind of stuff you know evoking the it is it is both like the exhilaration of like a crisis you are not in and also like from the viewpoint of the victims usually well usually it's from the victims but in like in this show because of uh the like who has the camera specifically the people who are running away do not get that you don't get to see there's no shot of someone running away as like a body almost like they almost get crushed or whatever they they don't have the camera the cameras are on the mechs the cameras the film is where the film is it is covering the things it is and you still know that that is what is happening when these machines are deployed uh but the absence of that stuff is like intentional and meant to be in your mind as you like consider because you are forced to consider with the premise of the show why every shot is what it is and where it's coming from and why there isn't a shot from somewhere else yeah it's a good show yeah and then like towards the end when they finally find where the flag is and go to get it the mechs are basically useless (laughs) yeah yes because now they have to do actual things yeah the havocs are too big to get most places without being spotted and then shot down and then when they get to the temples they're too cumbersome to navigate so they have to get a smaller experimental mech they're working on and then um that one just kind of sucks because it wasn't really meant for like actual combat use but then when they're doing that like they just get swarmed with soldiers they end up having to destroy a lot of the uh like military armaments in their escape because they're giant experimental death machines you can't let the enemy have them even though you need to abandon them because they're fucking useless yes uh, that whole last sequence with like them going into the temples, uh, going to the tunnels, and going mm. into like trying to find the flag, or whatever, and then immediately like it's so obviously a trap. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then they find the flag and they're like, wait, the flag's on the wall. No one's here. Oh, they, they just put it here. They put it here because they set up an ambush. And yeah. Ambush wins every time. Like you can't. Yeah. Like you know, this is and, like the history of all guerrilla warfare. It, yeah, as alien and like paradigm changing as the two mechs fighting in a field feels. In fact, the thing I also like is that it presents the other side of this, where if you get a mech in a place where it can't back up and you just swarm it with some guys with some bombs, it's fucked. There's yep. nothing they can do. Nothing you can do. Like it is just done in that scene. 
which is which is true to like real military right like the entire u.s military is in an endless war in afghanistan because people with some bombs are able to fight off a play like a entire military if they are motivated enough and in a situation where they have like home field advantage right like there's a reality to warfare that on some level with enough bodies thrown at it can neutralize the difference in technology there's like that's the thing that I think that's the thing that mech shows are generally really bad at depicting. Yeah, uh, especially as like there's an entire like from the bad perspective of this, there's an entire generation of uh, American media that is basically about dealing with the insecurity of what it means when you have unquestionably all the guns why can't i just roll into place and like make everything mine right like yes like there's an entire genre of media is wait we should have all the power why do we lose ever uh and like the identity crisis that has given people who like invest in american empire is a moral thing um yes but the just just the mech genre doesn't really usually approach that because it's often dealing with like uh extrapolated metaphors about space (laughs) yeah um and you know, you know, it's. I, I also, it's, it's, it's a Japanese genre for the most part. It's not talking about the same things in the same way. It's got its own interests. I don't want to call that like a bad thing, right? That it has different focuses. Uh, but no. in this show that is dealing with those ideas, it is very like interesting to see them and how it presents them. Yeah, for sure. Um, what else do you want to say? I feel like I feel like it was a very good episode. Yeah, I feel like I have basically everything. Uh, is there any other like scenes you wanted to shout out before we? Uh, I think I just wanted to briefly talk about the designs of the characters. Oh, yeah. Um, You mean the very international team of UN (laughs) peacekeepers? I mean, like, it does the thing where it's like, you know, here's the the black character. It's a kind of questionable design, you know. It's the big guy with all the, you know, black features we've, like, made a little too much. Um, And in ways that I do think the show is definitely uncomfortable for like making those choices i do also think that uh by you know it's heart is in the right place i guess which i don't mean to yes. defend this thing also like the, the uh, hilarious like here's the other japanese guy oh, that works for us right. you two should be friends you're <laughs> both <laughs> japanese but it like even though it is doing this through broad stereotypes which depending on what they are stereotypes of can be like funny and awkward to like actually no you should not be doing yes. this um even though it trades in those stereotypes, it is clearly trying to show, like, through its designs in a way that isn't always true of anime, that, like, nationality is a force in this world, and it is, like, in your face all the time. You look at Chris Eversault, and you're like, ah, that's American Captain Chris Eversault, like, immediately. Um, yeah. And it's also, it, like, the reality of what UN forces project, right? right like, yeah. they do this on purpose in real life. It is literally, in canon, a, like, perfectly produced and chosen and handpicked uh, diverse demographic squad yes. to be filmed and shown to the world for the best of the UN's ability like yes it like that's true they they it's not just the show doing it it's also within the show um, yes and so i appreciated that even if it can be really awkward sometimes yeah um one of the scenes that's just kind of a nothing that i do really like is there's a bit where she's talking to the chef at the base and he talk he's like making food and he's preparing like a really nice like plated meal and he's like look every time that these guys go out might be the last time they go out i don't want their like last meal to be some bullshit that i threw together everything needs to be made with care because we we live on this knife's edge where everything we do is might be the last thing we do and that means that there should be an intentionality behind it and i you know, in a world where we recognize that, like, these people are all cops and they all suck and they're all part of the machine of empire, 
they believe what they're doing is good mm-hmm. and they act most of the characters that we meet in like this mech squad act that way um which just makes their actions sadder in like the grand tragedy sense yes. but these are people who are actually trying their best to do the least harm and most good possible yeah like it's not quite gundam levels of like when you're meant to you know b- because it doesn't have like a shower zeon or you know equivalent of yeah. possibility it is entirely about all of these people are acting within the best of intentions not because it believes that that's true of all all, like un soldiers or whatever but because that underlines the fact that it is not about individual intentions the machine of state will move how it moves yeah like that's what there there aren't that many makuves in the world most people are just actually trying to do their best and their idea of what best is is bad right and the systems that they're in like prevent any kind of subversion from that even if they like realize oh this thing's bad one they can't subvert it to their idea of subversion will just be like uh, you know when when they betray orders and do the thing they that is just brought into the hole uh immediately like there's no actual yes. uh risk to the structure and that's you know what akagi realizes at the end yeah <sighs> yeah but uh i think that's everything i think that's everything um i i'm very glad we watched the show i think it's one of the you know one of the most loaded and dense things we've done uh, i hope the episode was okay but was a bit nervous yeah. about recording it um especially yeah. it's been a couple of weeks but honestly i feel like we hit all the things that i felt watching it so uh, this is also if you watch this um one it's hard to get a hold of i understand that um even the torrents take a long time yes um, but two i found this a show uh that i was deeply exhausted watching i would get to the eye catch be like oh that's not the end of the episode i'm spent um there's like a like an existential ennui put on me watching this show because it trades so much in like these are the real situations and the real situations do not have solutions and this is the world we live in where nothing is easy there will be no amuro um there will be no char right like it's just people going through this machine forever um and i found that difficult but i think it's rewarding understanding that this might not be like the most pleasant watch in the world (laughs) Uh, yeah, I, I like for the similar reasons. I actually found the show quite calming uh, when it wasn't doing like the war scenes. I just like you know it is very people being people in the worst hell, right? Like yeah. Um, and so I do think that the uh, just from my reaction uh, was much more um, just for like just was just nice to let the show wash over me and acknowledge. Like it, it's very easy for me at least to panic <laughs> to worry about the future both my own and the world's right like you know the situation's bad um and i thought think that another thing the show does well is just remind you that you know culture continues people continue there's no reason to as horrifying as the world gets its answer is not you know we should all just lie down and die um it doesn't think it's not proposing that and then we can change it but it does propose that you you know you got to wake up in the morning you got to find something um I think, you know, that, that was my reaction. At least never any more grand takes, but uh, I'm curious how it hits people because I don't think... I think those, like, both came from the same place even though they're very different reactions to the moment-to-moment of the show. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I think the show's great. Um, watch Vodums, watch this. You don't need to watch one to watch the other, but they're both good. Yep. Um, we'll be back tomorrow <laughs> if you're listening to these as they come out uh, with our episode on Macross Plus, uh, OVA and movie, though... We're both probably mostly going to focus on the OVA because yes, it's better. It's better. Um, we'll talk about <laughs> it when we get to that episode. But we we have watched both. Um, and then two, three weeks from then, we will be covering all of Dominion Tank Police. And I think that's everything we have on the like set schedule. Um, 
But, you know, yes. Beach House comes out when it comes out. Uh, if you don't listen to other podcasts, Jackson, where can people find us? Oh, God. You can find me at HeadfulsOff on Twitter.com. You can find the other podcasts that we do at AbnormalMapping.com. There's a whole bunch there. Uh, we do repertory screenings um, every two weeks. It's a movie podcast. Or three weeks at the moment. Uh, but it's a, it's a movie podcast, and I'm very proud of it. And that's the one I want to shout out as, if you don't listen to our podcast, you should try that one. Um, obviously, we have, you know, Abnormal Mapping, Game Club, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I, I'm I'm enjoying movies a lot, and I'm glad we do that one. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at em underscore being. Uh, podcast I want to shout out is and then an airplane, which is a podcast. Yes. It is with my friend Autumn, where we watch all the Ghibli movies. Um, the same day slash yesterday, we'll see uh, that this goes live. Our episode on Porco Rosso went up. Uh, our next episode's about Ocean Waves, which is a made-for-TV movie I've never seen or really heard of before doing this project. So I'm very excited. Um, but that comes out every three weeks and is going through all of Ghibli. And that's been very fun. Um, you know, given that it's me doing these, uh, they're usually very ideologically dense episodes as we enjoy the movies and then go, but also everything that it espouses is bullshit. <laughs> um, it's good. I, I enjoy doing that a lot. I like most of the Ghibli movies a bunch um, so far. So uh, please check that out. If you'd like to support us, uh, you can choose what we're going to watch for beach houses or uh, just listen to our cool podcast by supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash normal mapping for $1. You get Gundam, which is every week. We watch two episodes of Gundam and backup shows right now. This week we're watching Pat labor, the movie, um, which me and Jackson both watched Uh spoiler for Wednesday. It's fucking fantastic. <laughs> Yo, Pat um, labor. Yeah. Uh, and for $5, you get writing every week. Uh, you know, we try every week. Uh, and then for $10, you get a podcast called VoIP Life, where we goof off every two weeks. And it's a nice, nice, chill thing for if you really want to support the network. Just a special thank you uh, for your help uh, in keeping the lights on and the anime flowing. Um, so until tomorrow, <laughs> uh, watch some anime. Super